0: Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go! What is good, everyone? Happy holidays from everybody at the Destination Devi family. We're back with another episode of Destination Dynasty, and as always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, as you may hear, I am a little under the weather. Uh, we recorded that marathon episode with Eric on America's Game, talking about every AFC depth chart. So if you enjoy uh, this offseason series at Destination Dynasty, make sure you listen to America's Game also on this feed. The NFC show will be coming out this week. We go through every single team and talk about basically every single player that is on every single team uh, in terms of stashing them for Dynasty. So it was a fun episode to record with Eric. We both love it. Uh, so check that out. The AFC dropped last week. NFC will drop this week right before the end of the fantasy season. So this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated episode, but I'm going to follow the off-season series and talk about tight end stashes. Uh, We're coming off a week where if you had certain tight ends in your lineup and you probably did not have Shane Zilstra in your lineup, uh, if you had other tight ends though, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, Tyler Higbee, Evan Ingram even in a game where I think a lot of people probably sat Evan Ingram due to the weather conditions, Uh, you probably won your matchup on the back of a tight end performance where you said, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see Tyler Higbee scoring 30 PPR points. I didn't necessarily see George Kittle putting up another 30-burger back-to-back weeks with Brock Purdy. But tight ends do matter. Uh, And I think we do sometimes get a little bit overboard when we say they don't matter. And I think a lot of people just chalk the tight end position up as being gross, as unpredictable, A, because it largely is after the the first couple tight ends. Uh, but B, they just don't know how to evaluate it. They don't know what to look for. They want consistency. They want a guy that's going to go out and get nine to 10 targets a game. Tight ends don't work like that. It's one of these positions that I've been trying to solve from a dynasty perspective forever. And nobody's been able to, I haven't found the person out there that can tell me, okay, this is how I scout tight ends. This is how I pick tight ends. Largely, you can look at a lot of the same data we look at for receivers and we can say, okay, they apply to tight ends. Uh, And I think for the most part it does, but it's not nearly as predictive. You can't just go into a game and say, okay, there are 15 tight ends this week that are going to get seven targets because that's what their historic numbers say. Their numbers may say, hey, they could get seven targets, but you know what? This game plan might say they're not going to be. This game plan might say they have somebody on the other side that can shut down a tight end. And vice versa, there's matchups where, and it seems like you hear this a lot during the season, this team can't guard tight ends. This team gives up a lot to tight ends. And so you just play the tight end against them, and that's largely just the position. But it's also that I think that matters a little bit more. The matchup matters a little bit more. How the team is using the tight end matters a lot more. You hear us talk about, on America's Game, we've referenced it many times this year, uh, the usage for tight ends. I don't necessarily care about fantasy points. I don't necessarily care about what a player did last week. I'm looking for how many routes did they run relative to how many snaps they played. You want to see a guy playing a lot of snaps because it means they're just going to be out there with a chance to get more volume. But you also want to see a tight end running routes. Dwayne McFarland has talked about this a lot. 80% route run rate. You want a tight end to be running routes on 80% of the snaps they're playing. If it's less than that, then they're going to be volatile. And then when their overall snaps are down, or you have a game where the team only runs 45 plays, we saw that many times this weekend in the weather conditions, where it's like, wow, this team only has 24 plays at halftime. And that matters. When you have teams that are literally trying to run as few plays as possible because of the weather conditions or because of limitations on their line or whatever it might be, that's a problem. So, all this stuff matters with tight ends. But as we go to the offseason, how do I look at the position and really determine where I want to stash players? What do I want to look for when? We're not getting routes run data or usage data every single week. We know really nothing about what some of the offenses are going to look like going forward. So we have to kind of hit the reset button and pump the brakes and say, okay, what Tyler Higbee did this year, it's not going to matter in two weeks. Think about that. If you have Tyler Higbee in Dynasty, he literally might have just got you to the finals. Is his value up anymore in Dynasty? Are people going to go, you know what? Because he had that massive game and Tyler Higbee's had... 10 games like that in his career over the last four years, but nobody's going to look at that game and go, you know what? That's predictive of the game plan next year. That's predictive of what the Rams are going to try to focus on next year. That's not going to happen. So his value isn't going to change. The demand for that player isn't going to go anywhere. In fact, if this was earlier in the season, what you probably would have seen is Tyler Higby on the block. You see people putting that type of player on the block. And that's the old school dynasty mentality where player has a good game, let's put him on the block. You see that all the time. And I just laugh because I go, is the demand for somebody like that really going to go anywhere after one game? Because I think we kind of already acknowledge the game like that is probably a fluke. It's an outlier. It's not something that we can predict going forward. Now, maybe if it happens a couple games in a row or you start to see a trend, then that's one thing. But just to say, okay, Tyler Higbee's a league winner because of what happened this week, probably not going to be the case. So the league's with no trade deadline. Do we really think the person with Higbee, let's say they didn't win or the person that had him wasn't in the playoffs and this was on somebody's bench. Is that really going to change his market value next week? Uh, and I think that's where it gets into these formats where you have to know when tight end matters. Um, I started Higby in two leagues. I'm in 57 leagues. I started him in a two. Now I have him in nine different leagues. So just some context the leagues I had him in, both two tight end leagues with heavy tight end premium. Guess what? I didn't have anybody else. But those are the only matchups where I captured somebody like that in my lineup. And in those leagues, those are the ones where you want to pay attention to what tight ends you're stashing. I talked about that on the Tight End Roster Construction Show. These types of formats, you do want to pay attention to the types of tight ends that you stash. You want to look at the waiver wire and figure out, are there any tight end stashes that I can look at? Uh, And then you want to prioritize getting these types of guys, you know, because think about it, not saying all these guys I'm going to talk about could become Tyler Higbee, but it's not that far-fetched. And it really doesn't take much from week to week for a tight end to go from absolute nothing to all of a sudden he's involved. And then half a season later, the guy's a starter. And that does happen. And it can happen at this position, given how volatile it is. So I'm going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about tight end stashes. Uh, and I just want to give everybody a refresher. You know, Go back to the roster construction series. The tight end episode, and I talked about the tight ends for roster construction. I talked about what formats you want to prioritize, how you want to look at this position. Uh, So, just a caveat for this if you're in a start one, 1.5 or less tight end premium, this probably isn't the show to sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to take a ton out of this. Sure, you want to know some of these names just so they might be on your radar going forward. But this isn't necessarily the type of format where you go, hey, let me go scrounge the waiver wire, look for some of these names that Scott's talking about, and stash them. Like, that's not what I want to use my extra roster spots on going into the offseason. I even said on that show, I don't really want to carry more than three or four tight ends on a team. Unless it's some absurdly large number of roster spots, I really don't want to carry seven tight ends when I have 30-man rosters and it's start one, 1.5. The only way I do that is if I can find somebody to actually trade for guys I had slightly higher in the pecking order. So say I have a Tyler Higbee and I can trade him to one of the teams that's still in the playoffs. I can get a second. I don't know why somebody would do that, but let's say they they gave me a second for Tyler Higbee. Okay, maybe I can backfill that spot on my roster. Maybe he was my tight end 2, tight end 3, tight end 4, whatever. Let's say I have four, I trade him away. Okay, I could justify picking one up off waivers if that's what I thought the best player out there was. But otherwise, I'm wasting roster spots. I would much rather pick up every running back like we've talked about. Target some of the backup quarterbacks that I talked about last week. You can go back to the America's Game Show that we just referenced, the AFC show. We went through every running back. Guys, you probably go, there's no way I would roster that guy. A guy like Tyler Beatty. Why would I roster Tyler Beatty? I'd rather roster him. Than one of these tight ends uh, in a format where I only start one and it's less than 1.5 premium. So when you get past that and you're getting into one of these start two leagues or tight end premium where it is above 1.5, so 1.75 is common, 2 PPR is common. I'm in a 2.25 PPR uh, with a start one. I'm also in one with a start two in that format, I'm carrying every tight end that's living and breathing because they are the dominant flex. And I can flex them just as easy or easier than a receiver, than a running back. So it's almost like if you look at roster construction, I'm taking all the wide receivers that I would roster and wrapping almost all of those spots back in tight end because it's that dominant of a flex. So you have to know your format. So before this show even applies, you've got to look at your format and say, okay, I'm in four leagues where the tight end premium is more than 1.5, or I start two, or there's some combination of both. I'm in some where it's a start two and it's 1.25 premium. Okay, that qualifies. I'm in some where it's 1.5 premium start one, but there's also an extra half a point for a first down, or it's 0.15 0.15 points per yard, or something like that, where the bonus actually makes the premium a little bit higher. Okay, you can probably go to those leagues and say, you know what? This is where I'm going to look for some tight end stashes. This is where I can maybe violate my roster construction just a little bit and expand the number of tight ends that I'm going to carry. You know, instead of limiting to three or four, maybe I carry five or six. And part of it is they're dominant from a flex perspective, or at least more viable from a flex perspective. But they're also more valuable in the trade market. You know, people tend to value the tight ends a little bit more in those leagues. There tends to be a little more scarcity, especially when you're in the start two leagues. Or just having players matters more so than having the actual flexes. It's just having the bodies because everyone needs to start two. So this is definitely applicable to anybody in a start two league. you got to go in your start two tight end leagues and look at, okay, do I have roster clogger receivers? Do I have backup quarterbacks that I can cut? Like you have to do it in those types of formats. First and foremost, you don't want to be caught missing out on a tight end or two on the waiver wire because of that. So take a look in those leagues. And that's what this episode is going to help you with is going through some of the tight end stashes that you might not be aware of, or that might not be on your radar. I think everybody knows about a lot of the obvious ones, you know, the Foster Moreau's of the world, some of the rookies from this year that that's not where I'm going here. We're going deep. We're going guys. I just want to put on my roster mostly because of their pedigree and or their athleticism. And then we'll let the chips fall where they may. These are guys that they literally might not make the roster next year and you could cut, but they're also guys that could pop up and you go, wow, you know, that guy is the backup next year with a really, really good shot of actually starting somewhere in the future, or at least they're showing that, hey, they're an injury away from being a guy I could put out there and rely on maybe to give me something in these types of formats. So that's what this show is going to be about. Uh, I'll close the show after the break with a brief discussion uh, on some stuff related to the 2023 rookie class. Uh, But the first part of this episode is going to be about tight end stashes. So that's where we're going to go with this. uh, And then we'll close it out with a little 2023 rookie pick talk. So let's fire it up. We'll go ahead and get started with the first name. And this is a guy I have been adding anywhere that I could where he wasn't rostered. There were some leagues where he was not rostered because he got hurt in the preseason. Uh, Rookie from Youngstown State, Andrew Ogletree. Uh, And real quick, before I start, I'm going to cite Raz scores a ton. I mean, if you go back to my YouTube video that I had talked about previously on one of these Destination Dynasty shows, um, I did a YouTube video uh, back in the summer on the hashtag Dynasty Leverage channel. Uh, where I put out uh, a video talking about tight ends and athleticism and RAS score and historic production based on RAS score. Uh, And I'll have to revisit it just to see how sticky it is from this year as well. Uh, But it was pretty predictive. I mean, if you're looking at RAS score and 40 time, those two things combined, and the 40 time is included in the RAS score. uh, But if you separate the two and you really look at players that were productive at tight end that didn't have either one of those two benchmarks, it was less than 6% of top 12 tight ends over the last 20 years. Didn't fit that criteria. And specifically, it was a 4.7240 time or lower uh, and a RAS score somewhere above seven. I used seven as a benchmark. Uh, it was really truly something like 7.18, something like that. Uh, but I basically used 4.7240 and seven RAS score. So I'm looking at a RAS score above that and a 40 time below that. And just looking for players that fit that criteria to potentially add in these types of formats. So that was the baseline of what I'm looking for. So just to, to look that up, you can look at RAS football, which is R-A-S dot uh, And that's where all the RAS information, and you can click on the profile. And you can also see the 40 times. If they have a verified 40 time, you can see it within their RAS card or within their RAS profile. So that's what I'm going to be citing a lot during this show. So Andrew Ogletree, uh, the highest RAS score of any player I'm going to talk about on this list, nine point three three. Uh, the RAS score is out of 10. So really good. Uh, Ogletree, 6'5", 260, was drafted in the sixth round to the Colts. And I remember when that happened, I'm going, wow, he's he's not Jelani Woods, but you can tell they're looking for something specific. They essentially took like a mini version of Jelani Woods three rounds later. And Jelani Woods has been pretty good this year. But Ogletree was actually better in OTAs. Uh, reports were he was better in training camp. But he tore his ACL. Never played. But that's a guy I've seen get dropped. And I think people look at that and they go, here's their logic. First of all, he's a late round pick, right? He tore his ACL. So he did nothing. I've seen nothing from him. He tore his ACL. It's not like he was a name that ton of people were on prior to the draft. So people cut him. Out of sight, out of mind. Never saw anything from him. Tore his ACL. Round six pick. He's dead. And arguably you could say, you know what, it's gonna be an uphill battle for him to get back. Uh, He does have a depth chart with all the tight ends still under contract next year. So he's going to have a tough time probably earning a role, but this is the type of guy you don't give up on. So I've had him in a bunch of leagues, Uh, really just one of those guys I'm going to stash to see what happens with him next summer. How does he recover from the ACL? Is he back in the mix next year? But he could be one of those guys where it's like the Colts actually value him just as much as Jelani Woods, and they're going to give him a shot to get right back in the mix. So let's see. We'll see how that goes. But that's somebody that's been on my list. One that I've picked up five or six times in leagues where he's either not rostered or it's one of these leagues where the tight end premium matters and I've been able to pick him up. Uh, Brock Wright, another one. So Brock Wright got a little buzz this year after TJ Hawkinson got traded. Uh, A lot of people also picked up James Mitchell. Uh, But as you can see, Brock Wright's profile is just better than James Mitchell's. Way better than James Mitchell's. Brock Wright, 9.21 RAS score. Second-year tight end out of Notre Dame. Uh, it's interesting because no one really knew who Brock Wright was in college. I'll I'll be the first to say I had heard the name, but that's it. I had no idea he was athletic. I had no idea he had a chance to make the NFL. Boom, he shows up in the NFL, has a really, really good RAS score. 6'4", 260 pounds, uh, 4.6640, 9.21 RAS score. So he checks both boxes, and he's played. You know, the funny thing is, a guy like this, you would be like, wow, he has nothing going for him other than he's athletic. But the teams trusted him. The teams put him on the field. It's only his second year, and he's already gone out there and made plays. They trusted him enough to trade away TJ Hawkinson and say, you know what? We're going to roll with Brock Wright. We're going to roll with James Mitchell. Is he ever going to be anything? Who knows? But we we do know that production really doesn't matter at tight end. It helps. But it's not like you look at a guy and you go, you know what? He never produced in college. So he can't be good in the NFL. There's a lot of tight ends that didn't produce in college that are good in the NFL, that can produce in the NFL, because I think the skill set's different. What the team and the coaches are looking for is different. They'd rather have this guy who's super athletic and big and say, you know what, we'll just figure it out. Let's see if he can actually play. And that feels like it's Brock Wright. It feels like he's one of those guys that's actually been dropped in leagues because people picked him up after Hawkinson got traded, didn't hardly do anything. And all of a sudden, he's just not good. So let's just cut him. And it's just so short-sighted that people give up on these guys after a couple games. I mean, it's really, what did you expect? What did you expect from Brock Wright? He paid 509 snaps thus far this year, over 50% of the team snaps. And the reason you stash him is obviously his athleticism, but he's also tied to what could be a hyper-efficient offense going forward. So Brock Wright is another one that you must look to see if he's out there uh, in your leagues, if he's gotten dropped. Pick him up. Uh, Charlie Kohler up next. So, everyone knows about my love for Charlie Kohler. Prior to the draft, I said he was better than Isaiah Likely. I still maintain he's a better prospect than Isaiah Likely. However, you have to acknowledge the fact that Isaiah Likely played a lot this year, Uh, really hasn't done anything, but he's had a lot of opportunity. He's earned more opportunity. Charlie Kohler really hasn't gotten any opportunity. Yes, he dealt with the injury, he was out for the first half of the year, uh, but he's been active for very few of the games thus far for the Ravens. But 9-11 RAS score, uh, really productive in college. He's one of these few guys where you go, okay, the RAS score is really good. Everything looks great from a tight end perspective, but he was also really productive in college. He's got the mix of both. He literally was the best Iowa State weapon for three years. So you look at that and you say, wow, like this guy kind of has the complete package. Now, he's a little behind the eight ball, but he's also one of those guys where I go, you know what? People have cut him and dropped him in leagues. And I'm sitting there going, why? You know, how are you valuing some of these other tight ends that you're carrying on your team, but you cut Charlie Kohler? It doesn't make sense. So that's one. 9-11 Razz score, 4.6240. Again, checks both boxes. Definitely a guy I want to get as many shares as I can of going into the offseason. I already had a ton coming into the year, but I've seen him literally cut in leagues. And I've picked him up. Because I do think if there is one tight end that could come out of nowhere and you go, wow, this guy has 40 catches next year and he looks like the profile of a guy that could be a future starter, like it's him. That's the one guy out there that's available for absolutely nothing that I think fits this criteria. There's a lot of other athletic guys on here, but very, very few have the production that Charlie Kohler showed in college. So you have to figure, given that, that he's also tied to the Ravens, who historically use tight ends very well, there is an opportunity for Charlie Kohler coming down the pike going into next year. Next one on the list, Lucas Kroll. So Lucas Kroll, currently on the New Orleans Saints, really hasn't gotten any run this year at all, like none. But he's bounced around on the practice squad. He's been a guy that came up for a couple games, got bounced back down, But you look at his profile and you go, wow, this guy's, there's something intriguing about Lucas Kroll. If you know about Kenny Pickett, you probably know about Lucas Kroll, rookie tight end from Pittsburgh. Looking at his RAS data, pretty impressive. I mean, he's got a 9.07 RAS score, a 4.6440. So again, another guy fits both criteria. 6'6, 255, checks the RAS box, checks the 40 box. Really, what I'm looking for with him is something in the offseason. He's got two other really intriguing tight ends on his roster with him right now, uh, with Adam Troutman and Juwan Johnson. But again, the Saints are one of these other teams that may give a guy like this opportunity next year. Uh, It's a player that I've been picking up, and I've been able to get him in pretty much any league, even where the tight ends are really tough to get. I mean, I'm in some two tight end leagues with heavy premiums, a couple 14 teamers. You can't get tight ends. Every single one of them is stashed, but I'm able to get Lucas Kroll in most of them. So that's a guy, just look in those types of formats. If you're in start two leagues, especially just pick them up, go into the off season. Like I would rather carry a guy like him than one of these really, really, really low end running backs that I talked about before. Like Eric and I on America's game, we talked about some really dusty running backs like Mike Davis, right? Like I've picked up Mike Davis on some leagues. I recommended in my DLF article a couple weeks ago, pick up Mike Davis, Yeah, he's dusty. Yeah, he's old. He's a running back, but he's a guy that's signed multiple places, multiple times to get shots. Wouldn't shock me if Mike Davis is right back in the NFL next year on a depth chart. So I said pick him up. But in a two tight end league, I'd much rather have a guy like Lucas Kroll. Much better chance I get something to leverage there with the tight end than I would with a running back who's going to be 30 years old and currently not on a roster. So just keep that in mind. Go check for Lucas Kroll in these certain specific formats and see if he's out there. Uh, another one, Tommy Trimble. So a lot of people are going to give up on Tommy Trimble. I'm not so sure Tommy Trimble is actually good at football. I've seen a lot of people say he's, he's literally not a good tight end. A little on the small side, uh, which is the reason why his RAS score is a little bit lower. I mean, he's an athletic marvel. He's just small. 6'3", 240, kind of more like an H-back. So think like Johnu Smith, but not as big. So really not like a true tight end. It really would need somebody to be really creative with how they use him. But 8.9 RAS score, 4.6540. So he checks both of those boxes. I've seen people drop Tommy Trimble because they just figured the Panthers offense stinks. It's never going to be good. They're never going to use a tight end. Let's cut bait now. So I've seen Trimble dropped. I'm still stashing him for another year, but that's just one to keep on your radar that probably does have a little name cachet because he was a third round pick. He's probably been on a lot of rosters before, uh, but he might be one of those guys that people actually drop. Next up, talked about him on America's game. I even said on America's game, I'm not sure I can start picking him back up again. Zach Davidson. So Zach Davidson, second year tight end out of Central Missouri, currently on the Buffalo Bills practice squad. Now, just a little word for the why. Zach Davidson was already cut by the Vikings. So typically, when I look at these guys, I'll give you a little bit of grace if you were cut by a team. Maybe out of a training camp or something like that. To be fair to Zach Davison, he was cut by the Vikings. Uh, the new regime that's there didn't draft him. So maybe that's one of the reasons why they ended up cutting him when really he cost nothing for them to keep. He was on their practice squad last year. He actually played... Uh, A decent bet for the Vikings as a rookie and then didn't make the roster out of training camp in 2022, was cut, signed with the Bills practice squad. That's where he's basically been for this entire season. But second year guy out of Central Missouri, 8.8 RAS score, uh, a little undersized. It's one of the reasons his RAS score was a little bit lower Uh, on the small side, 6'6", 245. Uh, He's probably a little bit more at this point, but 4.6440. So checks the RAS box checks the 40 box. One of those guys that, like I said on America's Game, a prototypical receiving tight end. Not strong, was really, really low on the bench press. You can tell when you look at him that his frame needs to fill out, but he's actually one of those guys where Eric and I talked about could overtake Quentin Morris, who is one of these stashed tight ends that we do like, could overtake Quentin Morris eventually as maybe the backup on Buffalo, or at least somebody that's the backup receiving tight end. They still have Tommy Sweeney there, who's more of a blocker, but I think the idea of, you know, maybe a guy like Davidson coming in and popping up out of nowhere next year on what's a good offense, just a guy to keep an eye on. I'm still fifty fifty on how many teams I'm going to go at him because this is, this is really kind of the lowest common denominator. A guy that's been on the practice squad has already been cut by the team that drafted him, so he's probably even below some of the others that I've talked about. But again, just a name to keep in mind. Couple others to fire out. Uh, so Nick Muse, rookie tight end from South Carolina. Uh, currently on the Minnesota Vikings. So Nick Muse, basically everything I said about Lucas Kroll applies to Nick Muse. So I'll just leave it at that. I mean, very, very, very similar profiles. Uh, Nick Muse, 8.78 RAS score, 4.7140. So slightly below Lucas Kroll, uh, but just one of those guys to keep an eye on. Similar to the Saints, the Vikings, same thing. They like to use multiple tight ends. We've seen multiple tight ends come through there. Uh, obviously they have hawkinson now but we saw tyler conklin come through there and curiously nick muse is the guy that beat out zach davidson for the last spot on the vikings so i just mentioned zach davidson nick muse meet him out so he's got a profile that's worth watching as well three more next one up we have mr hunter long so eric and i definitely talked about hunter long Uh, He talked about how he's given up on Hunter Long. I don't necessarily agree. Second year player out of Boston College. Uh, A lot of people had him as like tight end two, tight end three of last year's class. Got hurt in training camp, really never played. Then they changed regimes this year. Who knows what the hell they were looking for at tight end in Miami this year, but it certainly wasn't Mike Gasecki and it really wasn't Hunter Long. So you kind of wonder like, was it him? Was it a system fit? But Hunter Long, I'm not giving up on. Uh, 8.58 RAS score, 4.71 40 times, so he checks both boxes. Was productive in college, so not as good as Charlie Kohler, but still was productive in college. So you look at him and you go, maybe he's not that good, but I've seen people literally drop him in leagues, in leagues where they shouldn't be dropping tight ends like this, and I'll just pick him up. So you have to give guys like this, sometimes they take three or four years. And you can argue, one of the pushbacks that I've always heard On this idea of stashing these high RAS, high athleticism tight ends in these formats, is how long do you wait? Because I've also made the argument hey, I'm not willing to give up on a tight end after one year, after two years. You hear people go, oh, he's dead. He hasn't produced in two years. It's like, well, the expectation might not have been he even does anything on his rookie contract. Like, that's almost how you have to look at some of these tight ends and say, you know what, it might take him two, three, four years before they figure out what the team wants from them. So it takes time. So when people cut them, you go, you know what? It doesn't really make sense. But the pushback has always been, okay, that's fine. But if you're in one of these really high leverage tight end formats, say it's start to 1.75, do you really want to carry eight of these guys and wait three years? That's a lot of time equity built into your roster where you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's a good point. When you really think about that, you don't want to have eight hunter longs. You don't want to be sitting there waiting for seven players until year four or year three. And that makes sense. You want to be a little cognizant of how many of these types you carry on one team, but you don't cut them unless you say, okay, I have four players like Hunter Long, and I just can't afford to use four roster spots to wait two more years on all of these guys. So that's when you'd make the move. But otherwise, you're not cutting a guy like that. It's only going to be his third year. Who knows what the future plans are. And a lot of times when you're in the third year or the fourth year, even you go, you know what? I'm actually excited for the guy to go somewhere else. There's a trigger of where he's going to hit free agency. You know, maybe it's a guy that can get out of where he is right now and he'll get a better shot with tight ends. That happens a lot. You see tight ends bounce around. They go to different teams. All of a sudden he's the number two team and he's playing a lot on a team where you're going, wow, I never saw that coming. So Hunter Long, that's another one to keep an eye on. Two more. Uh, Next up, Grant Calcaterra. I think a lot of people know about Grant Calcaterra. Uh, Probably stashed him this year because he did get on the radar a little bit when Dallas Goddard got injured. Uh, 8.15 RAS score, uh, 4.6240. A little on the small side, uh, 6'4", 245-ish. Probably a guy that you're going to keep and hope he becomes the number two tight end for the Eagles. Uh, But you like to see a guy that was a six-round pick, Remember his story, had retired from football, came back, a little bit of an older prospect, comes in and he's playing right away. Like, that's encouraging. That's really what I'm looking for for a rookie. Is he getting on the field? Does he have some sort of a role? I don't care about production. I don't care about if he's going to be the starter next year. Doesn't matter. When you're looking at these formats, you're just stashing these types. And Grant Calcaterra fits that mold. There's a couple others, like Peyton Hendershot, I didn't mention, very similar. Uh, a little bit on the small side, uh, not as athletic, uh, but he's there. He's somebody that literally came out of nowhere, wasn't drafted. A lot of people thought it would be Jake Ferguson, but he made just as many plays, if not more plays, than Jake Ferguson this year. So that's another one that I didn't have on my list, uh, but fits very similar to what Grant Calcaterra is. Last one. This is one you can get in pretty much every league, and people have literally just forgot about him, uh, mostly because of the player I started off this show talking about, Tyler Higby. Uh, but also, the Rams have just been so bad this year that really nobody's looked at this team for, hey, I'm going to stash that guy. Even when Tyler Higby's putting up big numbers, no one looks at the backup tight end and says, you know what? Maybe if Higby were to go down, that guy could do something. Uh, Bryson Hopkins. Uh, so he'll be entering his fourth year on the Rams. So, exactly what I was talking about earlier, right? Like, he's going to hit free agency after next year. Is he any good? I have no clue. But he's a profile you probably want to have next year just in case. Because he has that extra bonus of, hey, he's hitting free agency. So Bryson Hopkins, this will be his fourth year out of Purdue. Uh, 8.17 RAS score, so that checks the box. 4.66 40 time, that checks the box. Another one of these guys who's a little small, uh, just under 6'4". Uh, just under 250 pounds, but it'll suffice. So Bryson Hopkins is one. I guarantee you can pretty much get him in any league that you're not in with me. Uh, I've picked him up in quite a few, but I have found him on waivers on many, many, many leagues, even the ones where you go, wow, there's no way that people shouldn't be rostering him over some of the other roster clogger receivers and backup quarterbacks that people have. So keep that in mind. Bryson Hopkins is one that's available. And that's the list. That's the list of the players to look at in these heavy tight end premium slash start two formats where, going back to the tight end roster construction episode, uh, tight ends actually matter in terms of the flex. Uh, Andrew Ogletree, Brock Wright, Charlie Kohler, Lucas Kroll, Tommy Tremble, Zach Davidson, Nick Muse, Hunter Long, Grant Calcaterra, and Bryson Hopkins. So that is 10 tight end stashes you can look at as potential fillers for roster spots going into the offseason, instead of what we talked about last week, the bad backup quarterbacks, and two weeks ago, the roster clogger receivers. So hopefully you enjoyed that list. Check out your leagues. If they fit these formats, check it out for these names. Uh, Comment to me if you have any other names that you want to add to the list. I have a ton of them that I've gone through, and I've picked out the ones that I think make the most sense, guys that have been on rosters or have been on the radar. Uh, but also check the boxes that I look for in terms of athleticism and 40 time. But there's many others. There's some guys out there that I didn't talk about specifically, either because they're too popular or they're so far removed from being on a team that until something changes, I'm really not interested in rostering them. Up next, we'll talk a little bit about the 2023 rookie picks right after the break. I'll be back in 30 seconds. Welcome back, part two of the episode tonight. We're going to talk about the 2023 class. I'm going to kind of start throwing these little nuggets into each show. Last week I talked about the 1.01 conundrum regarding Bijan and what to do if you're one of these teams that has Bijan Robinson or you have the 101 locked up and you need everything else. You know, you you see these teams in your leagues. Go click on the team that has the 101 right now as your season ends. Look at their roster. Is it set up properly? Is it ready for a running back? Or is that team sitting there going, okay, I have Bijan, I can't wait, he's going to smash, but really what I want is to try to trade him to somebody else that thinks Bijan's going to smash. Somebody else thinks he's the next Christian McCaffrey. So I've been tanking for him for two years, not because I want that, but because I want somebody to step up to the plate and help me rebuild my team with one trade. So that's what we talked about last week. Go back and listen to that if you want. I think it's something that's going to become more of a topic of conversation because a lot of people with the 101 are in that boat. They are so happy to have that 101. They are so reliant on being able to get a trade for that 101. The problem is it's a running back. And I think we've all been in leagues where running backs just aren't valued. Everybody will sell running backs. Everybody's looking to quote-unquote sell high on their elite running backs, especially as teams fall out of contention, even if you don't have a trade deadline. I saw people this week paying through the nose to go buy Derrick Henry, and then he didn't absolutely destroy the league. They might have gotten knocked out. Guess what? They're probably now desperate to sell Derrick Henry, because they literally have just lost 70% of their asset value overnight because he didn't win them their matchup in Week 16. Not saying you just dumped Eric Henry because I think he's got value next year, but the idea is a lot of people would sell veteran running backs going into the offseason. So here you have the blue chip rookie 101 running back, but man, what can I get for him? How can I get my hands on an elite quarterback? So that's where this discussion is going to go here for the rest of the show. I'll just spend a couple minutes talking about this, but it's this idea of 2021. We got burned and I was right there at the forefront leading the charge going, you know what? where the quarterback landscape is going. You've heard me talk about the elite quarterback strategy now for a couple years, but I was doing that back in 2019 and 2020. 2020, every startup I was trying to get the elite quarterbacks. The names have been a little bit different, but for the last couple years I've been on that train. So 2021 comes along and man, we have Justin Fields. Man, we have Trey Lance. Guys with insane potential fantasy ceilings. We have Trevor Lawrence, who's obviously the golden child, very similar to B. John Robinson, but a quarterback. Then we have two other first round quarterbacks with Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson picked in the top three. So it's one of these classes where we're like, man, there's a lot of quarterback opportunity in the first round of rookie drafts. And I think there were some limitations on Mac Jones, but with Trevor Lawrence, with Justin Fields, with Trey Lance, it was, at least from my end, get as many of them as you can. The risk of potentially hitting on the next Deshaun Watson, the next Dak Prescott, the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Josh Allen, whatever it might be. The the risk of just getting yourself in the mix with one of those guys where the value was even at the time. And now it's double that. I mean, go try to buy Justin Fields in a league. And I know he's one of the examples that I gave from the 2021 class, but go try to get him. Go try to get Jalen Hurts in a league. You can't, you literally can't get them unless you are coming to the table with another elite quarterback. Like you're not gonna go and go, hey, I have Jared Goff and a couple future picks. What's it gonna take for me to get Jalen Hurts? You're not, you're not. The person that has them just isn't trading them. So I think the allure two years ago, to get your hands on that type of asset forget about if they're actually going to end up being good just the chance that they could be in that mix of the bam tier of the untouchable tier of quarterbacks was worth the risk and i was going you know what every 102 and 103 i had it wasn't kyle pitts it wasn't jamar chase it wasn't Najee harris It was Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I don't care about the risk. I don't care about the landing spot. I'm just taking them full stop, barring that they got the draft capital. And they did. And I think it's very similar with this class. Ray's going to talk about it a lot. He's already been on this for the last couple months, talking about it on Wake Up, in the Discord. We've had tons of conversations in the Heisman group about this. Essentially, it's right back where we were a couple years ago is if you can get your hands on one of these quarterbacks, assuming Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, and Bryce Young all go in the top 15, maybe higher. I've seen some mocks have all of them in the top eight. But say that happens, what do we do with those really, really high picks? We're talking 102, 103, 104, 105. You know, does it just go chalk? Bijan Robinson and then four quarterbacks. You know, say you had four of the top six picks, and you had no quarterbacks. Now, obviously, the strategy would be, can I move a combination of those picks for an elite quarterback? But but here's what I've found. If I have Joe Burrow, I, I'm not taking the 102 and the 103 for him. you like, I'm not moving an elite quarterback. And that's what I've found from a lot of people. Unless you are bringing another elite quarterback to the table, then okay, maybe I'll trade him. But you're not going to go just acquire my Jalen Hurts without giving me a quarterback that keeps me in that top eight, top 10 tier. Everyone has their own opinions within that tier. You have your own opinions on where Trevor Lawrence fits in there, where Tua Tagovailoa fits in there, where Deshaun Watson fits in there, where Justin Fields fits in there, where Dak Prescott fits in there. But I'm not moving any of those guys unless I'm transacting somewhere else inside that top 12 quarterbacks. Period. There really isn't a, okay, I'm going to trade back and get Derek Carr and a couple firsts. No, that like that deal doesn't exist. And I've talked about this trade conundrum where if you bring a, t- a trade to somebody and you're offering them Jared Goff in a deal and you're trying to quote unquote upgrade at quarterback, you can't give me enough. Like, Jared Goff adds nothing to the trade. I'll take him back. Sure, I'll take him back in a trade, but he doesn't count at all. He doesn't count 1% in the deal if I'm trading away Jalen Hurts. He literally doesn't count. So really, the rest of the deal has to be so strong that I don't even care about the Jared Goff part. And that's what I don't think a lot of people really understand. They think they can just add a bunch of picks or a bunch of players to a dog shit quarterback and go and get one of the elite ones. That deal doesn't happen. It never happens. I see people in my leagues constantly posting, hey, looking for an at quarterback this offseason. Good luck, dude. Good luck. Nobody's going to trade you an elite quarterback. Now, maybe, maybe you'll find a random person that's willing to trade you Trey Lance or willing to trade you Tua Tagabiola or a reactionary person that is willing to move Trevor Lawrence because they think they can sell him as a top eight quarterback, or maybe they're willing to trade Deshaun Watson because, well, Deshaun Watson sucks now, right? So maybe you take advantage of that. But then my immediate response is, okay, if I start seeing people do that, what do I want to do? I want to go buy Deshaun Watson. I mean, how many times have I talked about, hey, if an elite quarterback becomes available, you just go get him you literally just go get the elite quarterback. I don't care how many you have. I don't care if you need them or not. Go get them. If you have three of the top 12 quarterbacks, and you also have the 101, and someone will give you Joe Burrow for the 101, do it. Just take the quarterback. Monopolize the market and figure things out later. So now we get to this conundrum where, okay, if we know that's the market, And these guys are impossible to get. There really isn't enough that you can add to go from Derek Carr to Lamar Jackson. Like, you can't add enough to get there. Just because the person with Lamar Jackson is going, man, like, he's hitting free agency. I'm not trading him. And I think that's the sentiment from a lot of people. So then what do you do, given that you have potentially four top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL draft? Because then do you shift and immediately say, you know what? the best chance for me to get one of these guys, and Ray's talked about this as well, it's one rookie pick. Even if I completely whiff and Anthony Richardson is Kellen Mond. And I'm not saying that could happen, but let's say that's like the worst 1% outcome that could happen. Who cares? I wasted the 105, the 104, the 103. I wasted one pick. Imagine the cost if you were to go and try to get a shot at one of those guys that's already proven. So think like Dak Prescott. Yeah, Dak's going to be 30 years old, but think of the cost to get Dak Prescott. It's probably multiple picks in this range. So you have to consider that, is how do we now treat these picks if I'm sitting at the 102 through 106, right? I'm not getting Bijan. The person at the 101, if anything, what I talked about last week is if I'm set up already at quarterback and I'm sitting on one of these picks, I'm either trying to move it out, for one of the the BAM tier receivers. So can I get A.J. Brown? Can I get D.K. Metcalf, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins? I mean, I'm okay with a move like that where I trade a 103 to get one of those guys. Okay, sure, I de-risk myself. I don't need quarterback. Really, the leverage is going to be taking the shot on the rookie quarterback is where I'm going with this. But my team isn't in the position where I need to necessarily do that. So I either use that as leverage to the rest of my league and go, hey, I already have three top 12 quarterbacks. I don't need to draft Anthony Richardson. I don't need to draft Bryce Young. But I will. But what I'd rather do is trade him to you so you can take that shot. Because that's probably what you need to do. You're the one sitting here looking for one of the elite quarterbacks. I have three. I'm not trading you one. There's no chance. I'm just not moving one. But I will give you the shot in the form of a rookie pick where you can then take a shot on one of the rookie quarterbacks. But this is what I need back. So I think it's very pragmatic to approach these picks this way. But what if you have to draft? what if you have to pick? What do you do? Does the current market warrant that you say, okay, there are 12 elite quarterbacks. I don't want to say elite, but there's 12 clear quarterbacks that are in that first, second, third tier, however you want to tier them out. Then you have Trey Lance as a wild card. Then you have like probably Kirk Cousins as like QB 14-ish. Maybe you have Kenny Pickett after that. And then that's it. And really, Kirk Cousins, Kenny Pickett, even Trey Lance, they feel like they are miles away from anybody in the top 10 or the top 12. So really, it feels like these rookies, all of them are going to settle right in this range. They're all going to settle between like QB 13 and QB 18. They're all going to be there overnight. That's going to be the value. And you can get that value by taking them in this spot, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106. That's probably where they're all going to go. And this is a tough spot to navigate in drafts because you're sitting here saying, okay, I know the value is to take the shot on the quarterback. It's one pick. If I miss, I miss. I miss on a guy like Will Levis, who is a top 10 pick. If he misses, he misses. But I know I'm going to have a window a year or two where he's still going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, look at what you're seeing with Zach Wilson. Look how many starts he got before it crumbled. And we can argue the the crumble of Zach Wilson is one of the most extreme that we've seen come out of the top 10 of the draft in a long time. But you still got like 20 plus starts out of Zach Wilson. So think about that. Like that's the floor. That's the absolute bare minimum floor. And there were a lot of bumps in the road along that career. From injuries, from a bad rookie season, from getting benched to bringing brought back, to benched again. Like there's a lot of bumps that typically aren't going to happen in a lot of organizations. So just think about that and go, okay, do I just draft all the rookie quarterbacks? Do I bypass the running back two, the wide receiver one, the wide receiver two? Do I just pass that up? Understanding that, hey, even if I draft a wide receiver and they become Devontae Smith, or I draft a running back and they become Josh Jacobs, those are two guys that are very solid. Those are two guys that are always going to be top 15 running back, top 24 wide receiver. But am I missing a difference maker? Can I live with myself if I pass up on the next Josh Jacobs or the next Devontae Smith in lieu of taking a shot on Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young? And I don't even care about which one of those guys I like. I don't care about fantasy upside or anything. I'm just talking about cracking the current quarterback landscape you could sit here and tell me where Bryce Young or CJ Stroud they might not have a lot of upside but why can't they be the next Tua or the next Dak Prescott why can't they fit in that mold and then obviously with Levis and Richardson you have a wider variety with higher ranges of outcomes for those two but really why not just take a shot on these guys so that's kind of what I'm trying to think about now where I don't have the 101 it's obvious. So I either make the big move and I go, you know what? I have the 102. Maybe I'm a trade fit with the team that has the 101. Maybe the 101 really needs a quarterback. And their plan all along has been, man, I have Bijan Robinson. I'm going to go see if I can trade him for Justin Fields. No, you can't. You can't get any of the top 10, top 12 quarterbacks for Bijan. Try again. Okay, so none of those guys are available. Now what do I do? I have Bijan. I can't get a good quarterback. Let me trade down. Maybe the 102 guy will pay me a tax. So that's going to be my plan. If I have the 102, 103, especially, I'm looking at the 101 going, hey, man, you know, I know you don't want to trade Bichon. I know you don't want to trade him in January before we've really gotten into rookie hype season. But looking at my team, you know, I currently have Pat Mahomes and Justin Herbert. I really don't want to draft the QB2 or the QB1 in this class, but I'm going to be sitting in a prime position to do it. You really don't have a quarterback. You probably need to take a shot on Bryce Young. Or Anthony Richardson. But let's acknowledge that we're probably decent trade partners here. So what's it going to take for me to go from the 103 to the 101 to get Bijan? And I'm not paying the Bijan Robinson is the next Ladanian Tomlinson tax. I'll pay a reasonable bump. Maybe I'll pay a late first. Maybe I'll pay a receiver that could help you or something like that. But I'm not paying the extreme costs. Because you know what? You need this trade down. You're the one that needs to trade down with me. I have no issues if I'm sitting on Mahomes and Herbert. Sure, I'll take two rookie quarterbacks. Big deal. What's the worst that can happen? They bust. They become Zach Wilson. Well, you know what? That still really doesn't disrupt my roster construction at all. I'm still locked in with the two elite quarterbacks. I basically just took best player available. So that's what I'm trying to do with my picks, especially in the top six that are not 101. These are going to be, I think, the swing picks. If you're picking outside of this range, you're not going to have an issue getting a good running back or getting a good wide receiver. I'm not even worried. If I'm picking at the 110, I'm going to get a great profile receiver or running back. Not even worried. Don't even care. Really, those picks have a different strategy. I'll talk about that next week when you get outside of the top six. But looking at those picks, 102 through 106, if you are holding those picks right now, you really need to be looking at your roster construction. More importantly, you need to be looking at the roster construction of the team that has the 101. These are going to be your opportunities to potentially move up to get Bijan if it makes some sense for your build, and it's probably going to make sense for a lot of the builds uh, with the teams that have the 101, like I talked about last week. So really look at these picks. These are going to be the ones where you're going to have to make the big decisions. These are going to be the ones that I think get traded the most. The values are going to be up and down, but I think a lot of people sitting on these picks ultimately are going to end up just taking quarterbacks if they can't move the picks for either a skill player or use them to move up to the 101 to get Bijan. So that's it for this week. Appreciate everybody. Uh, happy holidays to everybody and their families, everybody at the Destination Devi team. Uh, it's been an awesome season. Uh, we're a week away from the fantasy playoffs. Good luck to everybody that still has matchups pending for Week 16. Good luck to everybody that is playing in Week 17, either for the championship or or the Toilet Bowl, or those really, really big matchups where people are actually playing for the 101. I have quite a few leagues where the 101 is actually being played for next week, so that's going to be fun. Uh, Shout out to everybody who supported the show this year. Uh, We're almost done with the year. Uh, As I mentioned last week, uh, I will be live streaming at the end of week 18. So there will be a Sunday night game on week 18. Um, I know it just got announced that there will be a Sunday night game. We're not sure exactly what that game is going to be, but I will be live streaming probably sometime during that game. Uh, might even push it back to Monday night. I haven't decided entirely yet. Just want to kind of feel a pulse on where everybody's at with that week because it's going to be the last week of the NFL regular season. But we will be doing a live episode of Destination Dynasty. I'll get with Jay Rich and talk about a time uh, that works for everybody and get that out so everybody's prepared to be able to show up, ask questions about the season, the rookie class. Uh, focus on the roster construction series. I know I've had a lot of follow-up questions on that from people that have DM'd me and wanted to expand on something, so we'll definitely talk about some of that stuff. Again, week 18, it'll be Sunday or Monday, January 8th or January 9th. Uh, We'll be doing a live episode on YouTube of Destination Dynasty. So stay tuned for more information on that. Check out the newsletter, B E E H I I V. Uh, backslash subscribe, enter your email, you get weekly content for everybody at the Destination Devi crew. Uh, check that out and you'll get something every single week in your inbox, even during the off season as well. And with that, this concludes our second to last episode of the off season prep series. We'll be back for one final show next week and then the live stream uh, sometime during week 18. So with that, I'll go ahead and sign off. Be chill. Like, Only ones I keep around me is my friends